Hello, this is Michael Vandervoort. It is Monday, October 17th, and it's uh, about one o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm joining uh, John Hyman for another uh, episode of our periodic uh, discussions about labor relations, labor-relatedly episode number five. John, good to uh, good to see your smiling face, even though folks on the podcast will never see it. How are you doing today? Uh, doing all right. Uh, doing all right. You know, my guardians, uh, after after taking out your raise, um, are knotted up 2-2 with the Yankees. If the weather holds in New York tonight, we'll get a, a game five tonight, which I'm excited for. So uh, right now, doing okay. Uh, ask, yeah. me, you know, ask me at seven o'clock tonight, and then again, you know, at about 11 or 12, we'll you're, see how we're doing. So You're hoping for that same level of euphoria that the uh, Padres experienced, I guess, and the Phillies, the Padres in particular, though, right? Beating up on the mighty, mighty Dodgers. Yeah, and, uh, well, and I get it. I get it coming two ways because I grew up in Philadelphia. So yeah, that's true. I lived in Philly for 18 years and I'm still a Phillies fan. And I've lived in Cleveland now for 28 years. Uh, and, <sighs> um, and I'm, a, you know, an adopted Cleveland sports fan. So the, the dream of my Phillies Guardians World Series lives on at least for another day. So that would be cool. Um, yeah. And the, the Guardians have been uh, subtly good, if not outrageously good at times. Yeah. I've been, I haven't followed the, the playoffs as much. I watched uh, two sporting events this weekend featuring Tampa teams. One was Saturday night watching the Lightning uh, lose six to two. They kind of stunk up the joint. And then I watched our supposedly world. Uh, or Super Bowl, you know, headed uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady, and they they basically kicked a whole boatload of field goals and wound up losing yesterday. They so all of our our championship quote unquote teams in Tampa are laying eggs around here right now. So right now so I feel like Brady, I'm off the gravy train, you know. <laughs> has, has has Brady finally hit the wall, or does he just not have the talent around him this year? I don't know, man. Um, you know, he so so purportedly, right? He's gone through this divorce, right? Which I, you know, I've been through a couple of those, and they take a lot out of you uh, emotionally and you know, tension wise. And he's a millionaire, divorcing a millionaire, and if that's the case, and so I can't only imagine what the impacts must be. But yeah, I I think I think there's a bit of a wall. Uh, I think the team, you know, has had some. They had some unexpected retirements. Da, 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 da. Anyway, it, it's just it, it they they have they have a lot of talent, but it's not gelling, and it's uh, classic organizational struggles. You know, they they got they look good on paper, but it's not coming off so hot on the on the field right now. They yeah, they think, got. I, I, I don't think anybody's crying any tears for Tom Brady. So. No, no, yeah, and they're this week seven, I guess. So they got a ways to go yet. They can still go somewhere. But anyway, this is not a sports talk show, much as I like that stuff. <laughs> so we could do another podcast someday and do sports talk. But um, so we're going to try to do a quick show today, a little bit quicker. We, we usually go about 45 minutes. Hopefully we'll go 30, 35 here. Um, John sent an article my way last week or late last week, and it was about uh, medieval times, which I have been to a couple of different Orlando and Chicago versions of that. I've never uh, been, and I'm going to say I'm not missing anything. You know, it's, you know, picture yourself in Orlando and you want to go see some guys joust in, you know, fake jousting and eat, eat, you know, chicken legs and eat with your hands served by wenches. You know, it's a, it's a cheesy kind of entertainment thing. I suppose the, the, actually the show itself with the horses and the sword fighting, they got to have some skill, but it's, it's not like, you know, you're, you're going to do it every week for sure. <laughs> so yeah, if you take your, your, if your kids were 10 years younger, maybe I'd say go, but yeah, I'd probably skip it if I was you at this point in your life. Um, I went with a work thing once and that, I guess that was all right. That was anyway, enough for you. 
Yeah. So why don't you, since you, since you threw the article my way, why don't you go ahead and tee up the thing? It's pretty interesting. Not something a lot of folks will deal with, but it's a pretty interesting case. Yeah. So uh, Medieval Times Performers United is a labor union formed under the auspices of the American Guild of Variety Artists. Uh, they organized, um, I think it was, it was in the summer, I think it was back in July, they voted to organize at a medieval times restaurant, I think in Orlando, I think was where, I think this is where, I think that's where this comes from. I don't know, maybe, um, maybe no, New I don't Jersey. Take it back. It's New Jersey, it's New yeah. Jersey, You're, it, is, yeah. it is New Jersey, you're right, it's New Jersey. Anyway, so they organize um, this, uh, they organize the, the, the union, uh, they vote for the union at this medieval times location in New Jersey. They are now set to bargain for their first contract, and the employer goes and files a trademark infringement lawsuit against the union, alleging that their use of the name Medieval Times in the name of the employee's local Medieval Times Performers United violates the, the employer's or the corporate entity's uh, registered trademark so they are claiming trademark infringement or and are trying to halt the uh the union from using the trademark medieval times in the name of the union itself yeah and you know when you <clears throat> excuse me when you sent it my way i was like oh boy so so it's intriguing for a lot of reasons it it really isn't something that's going to show up on every labor lawyer's plate, nor is it going to show up on most HR practitioners' plates. But in labor in labor relations, it's very common to, especially like during strikes or protest activities related to uh, other kinds of unfair labor practice work stoppages and stuff. And certainly in the naming of unions, it's very common to have a, a an employer's name be part of the union name and or to see the lo the actual logo. Yeah, we, being we, we have the satire, Amazon, right? Well, right? but we have the app. We have the Amazon Labor Union. We have the Starbucks Workers Union. The you Apple see, Workers Union. Yeah, the Apple, whatever the Apple. Yeah, Apple Retail Workers. workers yeah, right, like Apple Retail. Yeah. Right. You you will often see it. Uh, you know, the employer's logo or name on uh, the signs on 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 picket lines as employees walk the picket line. You'll see. You know, so and so is you know so and so is an unfair employer, or so and so treats their employees poorly, or you know, with sometimes with the name, sometimes with the logo of the company. Uh, it, it, employees collectively and unions that represent the employees use employers' logos and names uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, on the one hand, you know, I read the story and I was like, you know, is this is the is the is this employer actually onto something? And then when you stop and think about it, you're like, well, a this happens all the time. And so, what are the odds this is the first time someone called a union out for it? Number one. But then when you stop and think about it, um, the lawsuit starts to strike you as kind of, or not kind of, but does kind of strike you as as frivolous, which is how the union has phrased it. And I can't say I disagree with them. I guess what matters, of course, the union, what else are they going to say? Um, but um, what the court says, I suppose, is the is the the signifying thing. And But I wouldn't think it would go too far. I, I mentioned to you in our little pre-show call um, you know, like we, this wasn't a, a labor union. We, I've worked at companies where we've had different sorts of campaigns brought against the company, you know, to essentially campaigns that are corporate campaigns designed to put pressure on a company to conform to an issue or address a problem that some outside company 
some outside group wants your you you, to, you know to take responsibility for that they brought to your door in the first place most of the time and it is not at all uncommon to see them create protest signs t-shirts and other things that li literally sat satir satirize or mock the company brand or the company slogan or the company logo and I know at at least one employer that I worked at in the past, we we had that situation come up and our internal uh, legal department looked at it, you know, because we asked, like, is this is this OK? You know, do we want our logo shown this way? And they came back with two concerns. One was that, A, they didn't feel it was egregious enough to merit a lawsuit. And even if we did file the lawsuit, they weren't optimistic that it wouldn't get uh, thrown out because of, I guess, what's called fair use fair use um, there's a your company uh, other or other entities are allowed to use logos on a limited use basis for certain things not that right this as is, long as it's not right as long as it's not for a commercial or monetary advantage and yeah. it's on a limited basis and again i'm not i'm not an ip lawyer i'm not even going to pretend to play one because uh, this is not what i do but there is there is a defense to a to a trademark claim called fair use it allows you for limited non you know limited non profit making purposes yeah you can't make money on the back of it right. but if you're using it to 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 raise a, a an issue or point about an issue it's generally okay and then the second thing is that the, while it wasn't a legal question the, the legal folks and our our pr people were very concerned about exactly the kind of backlash that medieval times is seeing in that you know they're they all of a sudden you're getting sort of cat you know ostracized in the in the media because you're you're taking on a an employee group or an outside activist group you know that are much less financially advantaged than you are or whatever it just looks bad in them in the press yeah it's almost like these employers these days like they can't they can't get out of their own way um in taking action against employees and their unions that it almost seems like it gives it gives the unions like like proof of concept, right? Mm -hmm. It's like employees, this is why you need us. Um, this is why you should organize and vote for us. The employers, you know, your employer does A, B, C, D, E, F, all these awful things to you as employees, and then you start to organize, and then the employer does all these awful things. They retaliate. They file lawsuits trying to force the union to change its name. They you know, they dock pay or take away ships or whatever. And the union's like, see, this is exactly what we're talking about. This is why you need, this is why you need yeah. it. So it's, 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 it's proof of concept for the unions. And it's, and it's crazy to me that employers aren't seeing that they're playing right into the union's hands. I wonder if that is, I, I'm just, this is me musing out loud, I guess, but it's a question for you as well. Um, uh, I wonder if that is because there's just such there's been such a lack of labor activity for so many, relatively speaking, you know, hot buttons have flashed over, you know, periodically over the last couple of decades. But for the most part, employers just don't deal with this stuff that much anymore. And now all of a sudden we've had this like moment of time this year and late last year where everything's caught fire, it seems. And is it because employers just aren't used to being challenged that way is it because they don't um, they don't. Lack, they lack some kind of like sophistication in dealing with labor unions. Do you, what do you what do you think brings these I, kind I of decisions forward? I, I think it's a lack of sophistication. I think it is a. I think as the unions were evolving their organizing tactics, they as they've you know embraced social media and honed their message 
to reach new generations of employees and all the things that are really spearheading the current wave of unionization, I think they caught employees flat-footed, unprepared, unguarded, and or caught employers uh, unprepared and unguarded. And you know, employers are now having to react to this stuff almost in real time, and their reactions are. Um, I because they haven't put in the time or effort to evolve, I think are, you know, falling back on some of the things that worked, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago that don't take into account that the unions and the tactics they're using to organize have evolved well beyond the, the quote unquote, um, you know, union busting that worked, you know, decades ago. Yeah, and of course, you know, th these things spread much more rapidly. You know, th this didn't go viral as far as I know, but could have. The, but the, the water cooler conversation, which literally used to take place around the water cooler, now takes place around the world on Twitter and Facebook and Reddit and different places. And it just kind of elevates the, the, la the, the, the lack of luster on your image to a, to a higher uh, higher plane um do you is it, you know are the littlers I, I don't i'm not blaming littler for this because i don't even know if they represent medieval times but there are the are the labor lawyers of the world let's put it that way are they failing to talk these employers off the off the ledge here or, the, or is this the employer saying i'm th damn it we're doing this i don't like this and we're doing it it's probably a little bit of both um i, I it wasn't I, I looked and it wasn't littler who filed this lawsuit and i didn't, it was a law firm i didn't recognize so it wasn't one of the big it wasn't one of the big kind of labor relations players that that brought this lawsuit mm -hmm. against midi against medieval times. I think it's a combination of um, the law firms going to the well of what historically worked, and then I think employers like uh, you know Starbucks um, being wanting to be hyper aggressive, and the law firms either because their own strategies haven't evolved enough or because um they just for client relation issues or other things they're just not they're they're not pushing they're not pushing their clients the employers off of the precipice of doing all the illegal things that they that a they shouldn't do in the first place but b um as i said before are really kind of giving this this proof of concept to the unions yeah I had a thought after I read the article um, last week and coming into this, I had a thought that kind of took me back to the old days. So back in the 2010s, you know, early 2010, 2009, when when employers were first entering the social media frontier and doing branding, right? I used to give advice to people at, at SHRM conferences when I would talk about employer use of social media. One of the pieces of advice I always gave was like, own your turf, right? Get your, get your, get your, company name and any versions of it that you're concerned about get the ownership of those even if you never launch a twitter channel with you know joe's you know john's law shop or whatever right ohio employer law shop john's, or whatever. john's law shop shit i give i better go register john's law shop get it right now because it's going viral in a minute i can tell you no but <laughs> so yeah so mike's labor relations you know bureau or whatever get that and own it right even if you never use it own it so that nobody else can steal it out from under you right so fast forward to 2022 one of the things that employers literally HR people should be thinking about is owning these workers united 
any version of your company name that could have Workers United or United Workers or go out and, you know, go on GoDaddy and spend 10 bucks per URL because there's probably, they're probably pretty cheap, you know, and buy them up and just hold them, right? That'll keep, that'll keep these, you're, you know, that'll keep these from becoming a, a, available easily to be used against you. I mean, they'll, they'll come up with something else, but you know, you can own your turf, right? So that's a pro tip, I guess, is think about doing that kind of stuff if you're worried about this. Probably a lot more value and a lot cheaper than suing somebody after the fact for naming their union after the company that they work for, which just strikes me as stupid. <laughs> but anyway, so so neither one of us liked this uh, tactic as a as a uh, an approach to, to a labor relations issue. It just wasn't a it, it's not a good look. It's probably not going to go anywhere legally, um, although we'll see, I guess. And it you know I wouldn't recommend it unless your owner is just so set in his ways that you have no choice or whatever. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I hated it. Not a fan. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, so I guess anything else on that? No, I think we've jousted enough over we the jousted medieval, enough. Time, over I, the medieval we, times. We, issue. We, we hit that, we hit the shield or whatever. I don't, I don't have a lot of uh, medieval knight fighting technique analogies <laughs> to use here. Your, uh, Renaissance well, fair, your Renaissance fair days are behind you. They, they, they are society of creative anachronism and all those things. And, yeah. um, so let's switch the future. Let's talk about, let's switch totally over and talk about technology. Um, and, and in this general conversation, there was an article that I forwarded to you which is kind of what, how we build these shows a little bit, I guess. Uh, I forwarded you an article where several meatpacking companies and a couple other businesses had, were, had, it, had invested in an app. And the app was designed to be kind of a wellness app for their employees, but it, it essentially is a smart, uh, a smart watch type setup or a Fitbit type band that tracks their employees' physical situ- conditions while they're on the work floor. Um, and then, and, and like, I'm, I, I get why they would want to do that. Uh, there, to me, there's there seems to be some kind of like Big Brother implications to that that I personally am not a fan of. But I could understand why they'd want to know if somebody was having you know high blood pressure and you know that kind of stuff. Also, where they're at and those sorts of things. But it also brought to mind the other types of tracking that we're hearing a lot of conversation about, which is for remote work and work from home situations. There's all kinds of tracking devices and stuff. So I thought maybe we'd just talk generally about um, some of the maybe the upside and downside of those kind of things. And you had, you had a couple comments from in the pre-show. So why don't you jump in there with those? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I, there's two real, what I see two real legal issues here. One is the privacy issues, which I think as long as you give sufficient disclosure and get in writing and get consent from employees, even under states that have the most restrictive uh, employee privacy laws or the most protective employee privacy laws like California, I, I think it's going to be okay as long as you get it, it, as long as you put it in writing that, hey, this is what we're doing and you get the employee to sign off for it as a condition of employment. And if they don't want to agree to it, then they're not employed. So I think the privacy issues, as long as the employer does what they're supposed to do in terms of noticing consent, um, the privacy issues by and large take care of themselves. But I'm going to come back to whether it's a good idea to do this at all from a privacy or just general HR standpoint. I think the other issue that that worries me more than the, the issue that worries worries me more than the privacy issues is the potential wage and hour implications of this because there are companies out there. Um, I wrote about this a few months ago. There was a, a an episode of the Daily Podcast, um, which is one of the New York Times um, 
daily, daily podcast, mm. talking about t- telling the story of an employee um, who worked for a bank and she was working from home and the bank, as a condition of her work from home arrangement, they had her, and she was aware of this, it had the uh, webcam on her computer that she was working from. It was set to take a photo um, uh, once every uh, once every 10 minutes to document that she was actually working. And they would only pay her for if during that snapshot when the webcam took a photo of her, if they could conclude that she was actually performing a work-related function during that 10 minutes. So like if she was away from the computer, like in the bathroom or sitting on her couch reading a document that she had printed or grabbing a cup of coffee or a snack out of the fridge or something, it wasn't going to pay her for that 10 minute interval. And to me, that rages huge, uh, huge wage an hour red flags of from, you know, docking a salaried employee. Once you, if you work a minute, you're owed your salary for an entire week. And is it, it's not with limited exceptions, it's not proper to dock an employee, uh, a salaried exempt employee, if they're not for, for minutes, not worked during the work week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a two, you know, how do you, you know, how do you establish that the person actually isn't working during those 10, during that 10 minute interval, you have a, you know, a one second snapshot in time and there's nine minutes and 15 other seconds where you don't know what the person is doing and, and where's the presumption that the person actually is. So to me, there are huge wage and hour red flags that are raised by these um, technologic, technological tools that companies are using to track, um, to track employees. I think on a deeper level, I have real kind of HR people management concerns and the message it sends to workers like, we don't trust you. We need to watch what you're doing. Um, we, you know, it, to me, it creates a work environment of distrust when really what you want to do as an employer is create an environment, a workplace that's built around an idea of trust. and when you have things like, you know, biometric tracking of your employees or other technological tools that track what your employees do on a minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day basis, it sends a message that we don't trust that you're doing what you're supposed to do. And to me, that's a recipe for a, a human relations disaster. Yeah, I, I had a couple different um, like examples that I was thinking about. So one that is um, one that's been a long time argument you know, back and forth, especially between em- employers and unions uh, in the trucking industry is onboard, you know, systems that track the driver, the motion, you know, they, they have cameras all over the trucks. They, they track the moves of the trucks. Do they use their turn signals and all this kind of stuff? Cause there's a trend. It also helps build the truck driver's uh, log, you know, that shows where they're at and all this stuff. But w- where it tends to get testy is if they, if the, it, a lot of, a lot of employers that have truck trucking companies or other fleets have installed cameras, you know, so they can track the traffic, see how their drivers are driving, what's going on in front of them, what happened if there was accidents. But if they, if they want to install uh, driver facing cameras, that's kind of where the employees in the driving industry have drawn the line. They feel like that's too much in a lot of cases. And I, you know, it's, and I'm like, I kind of get it, 
you know, but it's, it's literally no different than, than what you just said, where you're sitting in front of a camera and it tries to take your, or sitting in front of your computer and the camera automatically snaps a picture of you from some other workstation to verify that you're at your workstation. You know, it's kind of trying to control the behavior of that employee as much as they can in a situation where the employer can't be along for the ride, literally, right? Yeah. I mean, I get in the trucking industry, I get the GPS tracking, I get the the dashboard cameras that look out to um, see what's going on on the road. I get the um, like the speed tracking and all. I, I get all that because there's legitimate reasons why a trucking company is going to want to know what their drivers are doing from a, from a safety and insurance standpoint. So I, I get that. The inward facing camera, the camera that faces into the cab feels a lot different to me. Yeah, it's very big brotherish. Um, so, and then going back to the original article, um, you know, some some farm, uh, not farm, food processing plants is what I'm looking for. It's not a farm. Feed, some many food processing plants are unionized, and so if they want to uh, implement, you know, the use of these smartwatches to track the workers, if they have a union in place, they have to negotiate that, right? I it mean, sounds it, like it sounds like a mandatory subject of bargaining to me. Yeah, so so there's that complexity. What if you're not unionized and you want to implement that in an existing place? What do you, it, you know, is it? I mean, it, it just a rule with notice, or do you have to, you know, is it? What what what's there that they have? Because it seems to me like that might drive organizing in some level if the if the employees didn't like it. Yeah, to me, it would be a notice with um, written consent by the employee. I would. Um, sit the employees down in meetings or one-on-one depending on the size of the workplace and explain Mm -hmm. to them exactly what you're tracking and why you're doing it and what the, what the business purpose is for what you're Mm -hmm. doing that we're not just, you know, we're not just tracking you for the sake of tracking you. We're um, you know, it gets hot in here. So we're tracking body temperature for safety purposes or um, you know, we're tracking movement or we're whatever the reason is, or we're tracking, you know, we know that, you know, X number of calories burned per hour or steps per hour translate to this number of mm. you know, chickens that are defeathered or whatever the term is. In a, mm. <laughs> I don't know, plucked. <laughs> in a, yeah, whatever, yeah. in a meatpacking plant or whatever it is. And so we're using it to measure productivity. Um, I could just as easily say, that that's an excuse for supervisors not to do their jobs or to get lazy, to rely on technology sure. to do the things that the supervisors should otherwise be doing themselves. But there's lots of business purposes that can justify this. Um, when we get into things like biometric tracking, um, body temperature, heart rate, um, uh, calories burned, things like that, we start getting into the idea of medical information that needs to be, if you're keeping a record of it, needs to be kept confidential under the Americans Disabilities Act and um, most likely parallel state laws. So um, there are there are legal implications beyond just the beyond just the privacy concerns at play here too. If you're a, if you're a labor lawyer like yourself or a client that wants to do this and you've given them that general advice and they do it and they have somebody or several somebodies who don't want to wear these things, do you fire them? It's an excellent question. Um, it is, it becomes a condition of employment. Um, I would want to know, you know, what the reason is they're not wearing it. Maybe there's a protected reason related to their health or something that could, skin that, could rash give rise, and... that could give rise to a disability claim in maybe. Um, but if you have a, a work rule that you believe in that you, if you want the rule to have meaning, 
you can't have employees voluntarily opting out of it just because they don't want to follow it. So to me, um, if you believe in the rule and implement it and have a legitimate business reason for doing it, and you're going to put this in place and you're going to have employees, you know, sign a piece of paper saying, this has been explained to me and I consent to X, Y, and Z. And Jimmy and Johnny and Janie say, nah, I don't like this. I'm not doing it. It's not the workplace for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't like that, but that I tend to agree. Unfortunately, it doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't make me feel good. Um, but I, but as an employer, I don't see, I, I don't see what choice you have if, unless you just, if you're not going to enforce, if you're not going to enforce it, then why have it in the first yeah, place? Yeah. Why, why start it in the first place? Yeah. Why bother? No, I, I, I agree. I just, it's, it's kind of, you know, as you, as you approach these things, you know, you can tell them it's all, it's for this, it's going to be better for that. And there's all this good stuff, but there's going to be somebody who doesn't like it, doesn't want it, whatever. And yeah, it'll it'll come down to that in the end. Excellent. Um, the um, I think that's the, the the thoughts I had around tracking and technology. I guess the other one that I read something about is like just mouse trackers. Like they they have a piece of software that tracks how many times, how often you're clicking your mouse, you know, at your workstation from home, right? And yeah. so the, so the company tracks with mouse clickers. And then the associates or the employees can go out and buy a, a program that will fake simulate a mouse click every so many days. So they're, you know, then they're, they're working, you know, they're, they're not literally not working, but they're making it look like they're working. So you get into this thing, but what that leads to is, and I, I didn't have this on our agenda, but I, I just thought of it. And it's really interesting. Equifax had just had a situation where there's a news article where they fired like 20 some people who were holding two jobs. They were, you know, they, these were the people who were doing more than one job for, or a job for more than one employer while getting paid by all the employers, right? And Aquifax just fired like 25 people with some, like some sting operation that they had. They even named the firings, you know, I forget what it was called, but, um, you know, the, so there, I mean, I'm not trying to put fear into people over work from home or technology or anything. Or, or technology tracking, but you know there are some real-world implications for this stuff on both sides, right? It's not just the employers who can wind up looking bad. If you're an employee misbehaving, you might want to realize you're probably going to get caught sooner or later. Yeah, I'm all for um, I'm all for people doing what they need to do to earn a living. But if I'm paying you a salary to work, you know, to work for me, uh, I want to make sure I better get the benefit of what I'm paying you for, and that means you're not um, installing a piece of software on the computer to make it look like you're working and then running your, you know, and then running your side hustle on the side um, when you're on the clock for me, which was be, which would to me be an absolutely terminable offense. So. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And then we cannot go a show without bringing up the word Starbucks. We should try to get them to sponsor this baby and we could probably retire <laughs> the both of us. Now uh, I doubt that too, <laughs> but anyway, um, so we shared and discussed briefly and this will probably won't be too long, but there was recently a profile, I believe it was in the Washington post of Howard Schultz, who's the, interim CEO, former, the founder of Starbucks, current interim CEO. And it was this, I thought, rather bizarre kind of profile where he was followed around on, on a tour of Starbucks stores, you know, in various states and, and gave some wide ranging sort of extemporaneous interviews about what he felt had gone wrong with the culture at Starbucks and how they had lost it and why he thought the people at Starbucks at the 250 plus stores have unionized and why there's several more pending. Um, but the, but his, 
his concerns, I mean, on the one hand, they were portrayed as super noble about the purpose of Starbucks and the impact they have on society and what a great thing it is. And then yet there's this sort of lost group of dis, uh, dissident crazies that are after Starbucks trying to persecute the company because they're angry at the world. So I, I, I felt like I was back in the 60s or something where the guys that wore leather jackets to school, the greasers or whatever they called them back in the day, they were just malcontents and no goods. And it was, and, and the, but the article just struck me as weird. And, and when you read it, you, you commented on Twitter or Facebook and you said, this explains so much because we've kind of wondered about some of the messaging that's been coming out of that group for a while and have talked about it on and off. So I'm curious what your takeaway was on that article. Yeah, it was bizarre. I mean, I, I think I, I think the point was to paint him as, I think it was, at least I'm sure Howard Schultz's idea was if this was going to paint him in a positive light. Uh, but it just, it, it just it, to me, it came off as someone who is really going to stop it, stop at nothing to, to, to have his stores be non-unionized and it just it just he did not it it, he did not come off well in that story at all it did not paint the picture of someone who is as i read it someone who was um a good person to work for uh or who had his employees best interests at heart yeah even though he they gave numerous examples of how Starbucks made a difference both to their to their partners at times and to him seemingly even more importantly to what he deemed as society overall how Starbucks created this place for people to go and they could you know it just yeah it was just it was really odd um I don't know that there's a big learning in it but like you I was at the end of it I was like he he is so concerned about a number of really good things that this is what I guess this is what I took away like at a high level 30,000 feet he has a lot of really good intentions but when it comes specifically to addressing complaints from a small percentage but a a significantly sized percentage in, in another way of his own workers he completely pivots and like just shuts that off it's like there's a complete sense of denial is what i got out of the article like he didn't believe any of what they were saying and it was just like they were just angry punks uh which yeah no, it's yeah it, I, I i i mean i guess you see this a lot with it you can call it like founder myopathy maybe it's like i built this thing and no one's going to tell me how to do it better than me yeah and not willing to recognize that this thing that you built has flaws and maybe there are some things that need to be addressed to to either make it better or make it as good as you intended it to be in the first place yeah yeah so there was a bit of do as i say or you know do as i say not what i do kind of thing you know i don't know anyway um well that that was that that that, that it was interesting um and they continue to have issues and they're supposed to start bargaining soon and there's been a few more uh petitions filed and the people who who are filing now get the benefit they they have reaped the benefits of the awarding of higher pay and stuff that they gave to all the non-union um 
companies or all the non-union employees at all the non-union company locations. And now those same spots are turning around and starting to, to organize and file for petitions after they got the goodies. So they were, they were actually the benefactors at least of the, of the, of the campaign. But <laughs> I thought that was rather brilliant on their part, but it hasn't, it hasn't returned to the proportions that we saw in the year ago, but it's, it's not over yet. Anyway, well, that was it. Did you have anything else you wanted to hit on John? I thought that's about our 35 minutes that I had said. I, I am, I, I am good. All right. Well, that was fun to just chat through some uh, some of the developments from the last week. I will uh, end the recording here in just a second, but why don't you go ahead and take us out by saying goodbye and have a great rest of the week for you. Everyone have a great week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Uh, and go Guardians. Yeah, go Guardians.